Good evening. You ever done anything foolish? Surely I'm not the only one. But my guess is we've all had those moments that were less than stellar in our lives. But I doubt anyone of us has gotten to the point where we have actually taken a selfie in the home that we are about to rob. That actually happened. A guy named Ashley Keast used a stolen phone to take a photo of himself inside the home that he was robbing, and then he posted it to social media. Did you hear about the man who used a wanted poster for his Facebook profile pic? The man was wanted in connection with an assault, and there was a a wanted poster of him placed in a certain location, and he took a picture of it and used it as his Facebook profile picture. Somebody commented, nice mugshot, to which he replied, thanks, buddy. It didn't take long for the police to find him and arrest him. Or what about the thief who gave the cashier his phone number? He went to rob a certain place, and when he realized that all the money was in the safe, he left his phone number and asked if they would call him later when it was more convenient for him to come back and rob the place. Well, I'm sure all of us have had our moments. I doubt any of us have experienced foolishness on that level. You know, the book of Proverbs describes the fool. Proverbs defines the character, the behavior, and the misery of a fool. But it also shows us that not all fools are created equal. And for this reason, the book of Proverbs uses different words to discuss different types of fools. For instance, you have the teachable fool. He is called the simple one. And the Hebrew here is a form of a term that means to open or to be open. You know, we consider open-mindedness to be a very admirable trait, but there is such a thing as being so open-minded that your brain falls out. Some are gullible, naive, or too trusting. The teachable fool is untrained. He cannot discern what would cause him great harm. He lacks sense, as Proverbs 7, verse 7 states. He is easily persuaded by a strong influence, or he is easily controlled by a domineering personality. But the simple fool can be taught. If he will listen, if he will pay attention to instruction, he can learn something. Like Solomon stated, Proverbs are designed to give prudence to the simple. The teachable fool will allow himself to be trained. But then there is the hardened fool. And the Hebrew here it means thick and stupid. The hardened fool makes foolish decisions, but he is not young or naive. He just despises wisdom and instruction. The hardened fool is not going to be persuaded by any sort of collective wisdom because the hardened fool has made up his mind and he's not listening to anybody. He doesn't want to be taught. His character is marked by a series of foolish decisions. He hates instruction. He is quick to be angry and contentious. He has a short fuse. He is explosive. He is the center of controversy. He has loose lips, and he has a heart that is looking to do evil. Unfortunately, one who chooses to be such a fool cannot have the sense beaten into him. Proverbs 17 and 10 reads, A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. And then, of course, there is the arrogant fool. He is the let's or the scoffer. As Proverbs 21 and 24 states, scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. In Proverbs 22 and 10, Solomon encouraged his reader to drive out the scoffer 
and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. You know, throughout the book of Proverbs, we see the fool described as one who cannot be disciplined. As chapter 19, verse 29 states, judgments are prepared for scoffers and blows for the back of fools. Solomon also describes the fool as one who is impulsive. We see that in Proverbs 29, 11. The fool is described as the one who commits evil. Proverbs 10 and 23 says, doing wickedness is like sport to a fool, and so is wisdom to a man of understanding. The fool is one who is virtually unchangeable. Proverbs 13, 19, as well as Proverbs 26, 11 shows us this. And then finally, Proverbs defines the fool as one who trusts in himself rather than God. Proverbs 12 and 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. You've probably heard of the term wise guy. It's a term that uh, is usually related to a mobster or a gangster. That's kind of how we think of that term. But a, a wise guy often carries with it a negative connotation. A wise guy is a smart aleck. Um, the dictionary defines him as a cocksure, conceited, and often insolent person. Synonyms would be bossy, condescending, pretentious, and proud. Of course, our culture needs more wise guys, but in a positive sense. The world is full of the types of individuals that Solomon would label as, as fools or foolish, people who are undisciplined, who are hardened and arrogant. We need more men and women who are earnestly seeking wisdom, but not just any type of wisdom will do. We're not talking about the wisdom that our world promotes. Rather, we're talking about the wisdom of the Lord. Wisdom is living with spiritual perspective. Fools do not live with this type of perspective. They disregard the Word of God. They live life on their own terms. Rather than seeking divine wisdom, they are wise in their own eyes. And because of this, they are not truly wise at all. I am told that in biblical times, vineyards had two main predators. They were large foxes and small foxes. Now, the large fox could be very destructive to a vineyard because he was tall enough that he could eat the grapes that were hanging rather low. But even worse than the large fox were the small foxes because while they couldn't reach the grapes themselves that were hanging on the vine, they would actually nibble at the vine roots themselves. As bad as the large foxes were, the small foxes were even worse. Have you ever seen a baby fox? They're, they're adorable creatures, but they were the sworn enemy to a vineyard owner. The reason why the small fox was such a threat is because, you know, it's one thing to just eat some grapes like the large fox, but the small fox nibbling at the roots would, of course, destroy the entire vine. Because of this, the vineyard owner did not appreciate the adorableness of the fox. Instead, if they caught one in their vineyard, they destroyed it immediately so it would not do more damage. In the book Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, we read these words. It says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are running the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. There are many things in our society that function much the same way. They're subtle. They move in quietly in the cover of night. They're very stealthy and crafty. They come in and they just nibble away little by little. And at first they can cause minor localized damage, but if allowed to continue, they will eventually attack the roots and cause major destruction. 
You know, one of the saddest things that I've ever heard as a minister is when I was counseling with a gentleman who, who needed to turn his life around and, and, and follow Christ. And as I was talking with him and sharing the gospel with him, one of the things he told me was, have I done some bad things? Sure. But I've done a lot of good things as well. I figure I'll just let the chips fall where they may. That's terrible reasoning. That's a terrible gamble with your soul. That person was willing to leave the eternal fate of his soul up to, up to chance. And it's sad because I know how that movie ends, and you probably do as well. It's always tragic when one fails to see the seriousness of something. You know, our environment, our culture around us attempts to sell us on the idea that it really doesn't matter how you live. It really doesn't matter what you believe. The direction that you go in life is just up to you. Your conscience is your guide. The standard, of course, deviates depending on the circumstances. But the book of Proverbs is a book that definitely tells us that it matters how you live. It most certainly matters how you live. And Proverbs is a book that is universal and timeless. It is transcendent. And if we could summarize the entire theme of Proverbs, it would be simply life. Proverbs is a book about life. It is a book that, according to the wise Solomon, is about what life should be all about. And it's not about earthly happiness. It's not about just being content in the circumstances that are surrounding you. It's about so much more. It's about living righteously. You know, the wisdom of the world will tell you that, uh, you know, you need to satisfy yourself at all costs. The wisdom of the world is a striving after the wind, as Solomon would call it. The wisdom of the Lord is a striving after righteousness. Proverbs challenges us to, to wise up in a dumbed-down world. Notice Proverbs 3 and verse 7. It reads, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Solomon's advice is not only divine, it comes from experience. You know, Solomon tried it his way. He turned away from God. He trusted in himself. He leaned on his own understanding. He pursued the Las Vegas lifestyle, fame and, and fortune and women, and he had the American dream, or so he thought. But in the end, he discovered that his pursuit was meaningless and empty. Not only that, it was also destructive. And he learned that the emptiness of happiness and the folly of foolishness leads to a lifestyle that is futile. He learned that life is about raising the standard, rising above cultural mentality, overcoming the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of the Lord. And he says at the very end of his memoir, the conclusion when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. You know, these words cut to the root of the problem, don't they? We no longer fear God in our culture, at least many of us don't. The word fear in Hebrew is the word yara, and in the Old Testament, it has a three-pronged meaning. It can mean dread or terror. It can mean to stand in awe. It can mean to revere or to respect in regard to parents. But the proper type of fear is the kind of fear that causes one to stand or bow in reverence before God. It is a fear that drives one to remove their sandals, hit their knees, and fall on their faces in humble adoration toward God. So why is this so important? Well, a fear of the Lord will lead to a hatred of evil. It will lead to the riches and blessings of eternal life. And notice that Solomon tells his reader, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and destruction. If we desire to be truly wise, we start there. We start with a fear 
of the Lord. We must abide by His standard. We must understand it. We must appreciate it. We must develop it in our lives. We must bow down to it. You know, it's, it's rare that a man in our society doesn't notice an attractive woman. In our sex-crazed, sexually-driven culture, a beautiful woman will rarely walk down the street without a man looking at her, perhaps even shouting or whistling, making catcalls in her direction. And if this beautiful woman were to stand in the middle of the street and shout at the top of her lungs, she'd certainly be noticed. But listen to what is written in Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 20. It says, Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. You know, throughout the book of Proverbs, we see wisdom personified as a woman. And because of this, wisdom is divine, and and we could easily characterize this woman as one of, of beauty. And what she represents as something that is beautiful, what she possesses, something that is, that is gorgeous. She desires to draw attention of all who will listen. She seeks to be heard, openly crying out from the hilltop beside the way where the paths meet by the city gates. She desires to be heard by the sons of men, by the simple ones and the fools. And she desires to impart certain things, excellent things, right things, words of truth and righteousness, things that are plain and right, things that are better than silver or gold or rubies and all that can be desired. This that she seeks to impart is priceless because it contains prudence and knowledge and discretion and counsel and understanding and strength. And with it comes the blessing of prosperity, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Spiritual blessings of no other kind. Wisdom cries out to be heard. She pleads for us to hear and to accept So why do so many ignore her beauty? Well, because lurking in the shadows is another woman, one who is just as beautiful, but probably more persuasive. She seduces with her beauty and her flattery, and she has a plea as well, but it's not one of righteousness and truth. It's one of debauchery and immorality. She'll do anything to be heard, including tempting and enticing you. Her plea is to turn you away from the beauty of true wisdom and to seek immediate gratification. Rather than fearing the Lord, she seeks to convince mankind that God is just someone who wants you to be happy and that's really about all. She seeks to convince you that you can be wise on your own and that you don't need true wisdom. She is a serpent in a red dress who preys on the weak. Listen to what is written in Proverbs 6, starting in verse 20. It says, My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life, to keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. So we have a choice as to who we can listen to. 
The wisdom of the world or the wisdom of the Lord? That's the choice that we face. To whom shall we hearken? Well, the woman lurking in the corners whose house is on the way to Sheol is not the best option, obviously. Now, the best option is the woman who's standing on the hilltop or by the city gates who desires to impart righteousness. The answer should be obvious as to which one to choose. Proverbs 8, 34 and 35 reads, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorpost, for he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. You know, the story is told of a college professor who went to the Fiji Islands, and uh, being an, an atheist himself, he remarked to the elderly chief of this tribe on this island, he said, you're a great leader, but it's a pity that you have been taken in by those foreign missionaries. They only want to get rich through you. No one believes the Bible anymore, the professor says. People are, are tired of the threadbare story of Christ dying on a cross for the sins of mankind. They know better now. I'm sorry you've been so foolish as to accept their story. And the old chief's eyes flashed, and he answered, You see that rock over there? On it, we smashed the heads of our victims. Notice the furnace next to it, he said. In that oven, we formerly roasted the bodies of our enemies. If it hadn't been for those good missionaries and the love of Jesus that changed us from cannibals into Christians, you'd never leave this place alive. You'd better thank the Lord for the gospel, otherwise we'd already be feasting on you. If it weren't for the Bible, you'd now be our supper. You know, too many in our world look at Christianity and they see it as foolish. I mean, why would someone get up early on a Sunday morning to go listen to some guy talk? Why would someone waste their Saturday morning at church when they could be sleeping in or going golfing or fishing? Why would somebody give up a Sunday on their weekend to go and to worship God? I guess because we're foolish. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 9. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we are hungry and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. In essence... Paul says, we look rather foolish to the world around us, but that's okay because our life is about something bigger and something far better. Being a fool for Christ is a higher calling. The wisdom of the world says, take care of you first, but Christianity says, bless those who revile you, bless and do not curse, endure the persecution when slandered and treat, be willing to go hungry and go homeless and work hard for the sake of the gospel, we be willing to be treated like a slave. I mean, that all sounds pretty foolish, doesn't it? But that's the whole point. You are a fool if you behave this way, but you're the right type of fool. The wisdom of the world is foolish, and Christians are foolish. Both are fools, but for vastly different reasons. A fool in the world makes no impact and has no hope. But a fool for Christ exhibits the character of the one he follows 
and makes a difference, perhaps even an eternal difference. And there is hope in being a fool for Christ, where there is no hope in being a fool in the world. The whole idea behind Paul's words here is, your discipleship must mean more than the perception of those around you. Because you're living for something bigger. The fool for Christ is looking toward a long-term payoff. It may be tough to endure ill treatment now. But Paul says there is a reward that far outweighs anything this world has to offer. I want to ask you to do a little homework this week. Read through Hebrews chapter 11 sometime. You probably have more than once. What do we call Hebrews chapter 11? We call it the the Faith Hall of Fame, don't we? In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, we learn about a lot of people who had faith. From Noah to Abraham to Moses to Rahab. What did they all have in common? They all had faith, but they all had a faith in action, right? But there's something else that they all had in common. They were all fools. You think about that. Some of them did some foolish things, but that's not what I'm talking about. All of them were fools for God. Just take Moses, for instance. This is what Hebrews chapter 11 says about him. This is his induction speech in the Faith Hall of Fame. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I mean, how foolish can you be, right? Or consider those nameless Christians that we read about at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in uh, in skins of sheep and, and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth? How could these people be so foolish as to endure harsh treatment? What kind of fool would allow themselves to be killed for their faith? Well, we know what kind. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in the Faith Hall of Fame. And you know, the only way to get there is by acting a fool. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that we've been able to worship you. We thank you so much for who you are. And we pray that we can shine your light in a world that so desperately needs it. We pray, God, that we can be fools for Christ. That we can be disciples that follow closely on our Lord's heels. And we pray that we can live with hope and that we can show that to those around us living in a dark world. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.